May I speak to you in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the life-giving Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I remember some 25 years ago, first time that I saw the Judean wilderness that we hear about in today's Gospel reading, the place where John the Baptist lived and preached. Now, when you leave the city of Jerusalem to the east, you start to go down, literally, toward Jericho, through the hills, along a winding road, down into the Jordan River Valley. And from there, you can head south along the Jordan River toward the Dead Sea. It is the most barren, desolate of places. Nothing but rocks, everywhere parched, dry, cracked earth. Hardly anything grows. Oppressively hot much of the time and dangerously dry for anything that is living and maybe especially for human beings. There are almost no signs of life as far as the eye can see. When you get down to the Dead Sea, you are at the very lowest place on the face of the earth. It's about a quarter of a mile below sea level. And it really does feel like that. And it was in this place, somewhere in the Judean desert, along the Jordan River, that John the Baptist preached his message of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew reminds the readers of his gospel that this John the Baptist is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In quoting the prophet Isaiah in this situation, Matthew brings to mind Isaiah's prophecy of Israel's return from exile. He spoke of preparing the way, preparing a path through the desert, across the rocky terrain and the dry and forbidding landscapes, a straight path for the people of Israel to return home from their exile in a foreign land. Exile and return. It is a major theme in Israel's life for hundreds of years leading up to this time. Israel had been taken away captive into Assyria over 700 years before. And then, over a century later, the southern kingdom of Judah, again taken captive, this time to Babylon. Captives taken from their homes and their land and their temple which had been destroyed. But never did they forget their true home. Never did they forget their temple, the place where they encountered God most fully. And their return home, whenever that might happen, would be through this barren land, across a desert, a place whose paths they only hoped might be made straight and no farther than necessary. Israel's exile became not only a story of personal and national catastrophe, but also a spiritual metaphor for all of the separations and alienations of human experience. And the return from exile became not only the dream and the hope of a captive people, but also another way of talking about all of our longings to find the heart's true home. Exile. It's something that most of us never really think very much about unless you, like some folks here in our congregation, have been refugees at some point in your life, had to flee your home for safety in another place. 
And yet it is something that any one of us may be experiencing deep inside, all the same. There are a lot of ways we experience exile. Perhaps we can relate better to the word alienation. Some people live with a sense of exile or alienation from their families, for example. Perhaps having been rejected for one reason or another, maybe just because they've grown apart. Those who experience this know the the pain of exile, the sense of separation from the places and the people that ought to be the most dear to us, perhaps even one's sense of personal history and identity. Maybe you've experienced exile from a group of friends who have locked you out for some reason, known or unknown. Some people live in exile from the spiritual home in which they grew up, but which became a place they could not continue to be, either because of personal convictions that were at odds with the community, or because they were forced out for one reason or another. I think perhaps that my own deepest moment of exile came when Carolyn and I, as a young married couple, made the decision to leave the church denomination in which we had both been raised. The church had always been an important part of our lives, the center of our lives, in fact. We knew that we loved God, We knew that we needed spiritual community. We knew that we could not go it alone and just be good Christians all on our own. But there came a time when we also knew that we could not, in good conscience, continue in a tradition and raise our children in a church that was consumed by legalisms and dogmatism and all manner of man-made rules that did more to separate people from God and from one another than to bring them together. It was a gut-wrenching decision for us. We felt like a piece of ourselves had been torn away. And because of the clear denominational identity and demand for loyalty, we knew that we would face rejection by friends and people that we cared about, and possibly even our families. We didn't really know. I'll never forget the day when I went to have a talk with the pastor of the church we attended, to let him know that we would be leaving. It was a painful and tearful conversation. The rejection we feared became a reality, not from our families, I'm happy to say, but from people with whom we had been very close. We felt adrift in the world, homeless, wandering among people who didn't know us, didn't know our story. Our spiritual exile continued for a couple of years at least from that point. We never stopped going to church somewhere, but the church we went to for most of that time at first was in hindsight only a brief oasis in the desert for us while we got our bearings and tried to find a new sense of home. Even though I had almost no direct experience of it yet, I loved what I knew and was learning about the Episcopal Church that it was rooted in a deep sense of tradition and history, that it was Catholic in the best sense of the word, that the sacraments were an important part of its life. And something that was really important given where we were coming from was that it was open to critical inquiry and to the life of the mind. You didn't have to check your brain at the door, as we used to say, and your opinions Uh, and your questions, even your reasoned 
disagreements were welcome. And yes, it welcomed all people, even folks like us. I'd like to tell you that I felt at home from the very beginning in the Episcopal Church, but there were some barriers and some things to get used to. But what I did find from that very beginning was a deep sense of God's presence in the worship and in the welcome that I felt from people. And that made me feel right at home. Eventually, the fact that God was there was all that really mattered. We had found our new home. Our exile had come to an end. When John the Baptist stood out in that bleak wilderness calling people to repent and return, he was evoking Israel's deep memory of exile and their desire to be back home, while speaking also to the events that were swirling around them in the present. They were now an occupied people living under the influence of a foreign enemy with a puppet king and religious leaders who cared more about purity codes than they did about doing what was right, caring for orphans and widows and for the foreigners in their midst. They cared more about their own power and about maintaining their standing with the imperial powers that be than they did about doing what was right and good and holy. It was into this context that John called the people to repent, to turn, and to go another way, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He was clear that he was merely preparing the way for the Messiah who would come after him, one who is more powerful, whose sandals he was not even worthy to carry. This season of Advent calls every one of us, all of us, to that deep place of longing and of expectation and of hope. Our own experiences of exile and alienation might be very unique to us and our story, and yes, some of them, of course, are shared experiences. But this season reminds us to look beyond the current state of our affairs, to watch for and work for a world that is set right. It reminds us to dream big, to allow our imaginations to lead us beyond where we are and even things we can even imagine to the new thing that is coming into being. And not to assume that things will always be as they are. Yes, we're even invited to dream of the world we hear about in Isaiah's vision of a peaceable kingdom where the wolf shall lie, live with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. A world where they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the Messiah whom we await. St. Paul, who experienced his own exile and alienation from the religion of his birth, found wholeness and hope in Christ, the one in whom all things are finally reconciled. And to the Gentiles who had been outside the fold, alienated from God, but now brought near through Christ, and to all of us, St. Paul offers this final benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
May it be so. Amen.